Welcome to Powered by Evidence, a podcast by the Global Evaluation Initiative. We're a global partnership of organizations that help governments and public institutions create robust, country-owned monitoring and evaluation systems. In this podcast, we invite experts from our international network and other special guests to explore new ideas and revisit challenges that are still unsolved. We examine failures, reflect on successes, and discuss the way forward. Thank you for sharing your time with us. Hi, I'm Dugan Fraser. I'm Program Manager of GEI. I'm really pleased to have an exceptional guest with us today. She's a longtime colleague and friend, Patricia J. Rogers. Patricia, it's really great to have you with us today. So Patricia J. Rogers is the founder and former CEO of Better Evaluation, and she was previously the Professor of Public Sector Evaluation at RMIT in Melbourne and the Australia and New Zealand School of Government. She's now working as a consultant, including for the GEI, and as a member of the Footprint Evaluation Initiative. Patricia, one of the things you know we are most interested in at the GEI is country monitoring and evaluation systems. And I've been wondering what you think makes them effective. Well, I guess one of the things for me is is thinking about that focus on country-level monitoring and evaluation systems as, as actually being about multiple systems. That when I look at what countries are doing, I see that there's some central monitoring and evaluation system, but there's also a system of supporting monitoring and evaluation in different departments monitoring and evaluation with different partner organisations they work with. And so so one of the things I think about that, what makes them effective, is when they're not just thinking about one part of that, that large interlocked set system of systems. And, and I was really thinking about this recently with a discussion at, at a few years ago in Australia where I'm based, where the opposition party at, at a federal election put forward a proposal to establish the position of an evaluator general which made all the evaluators extremely excited, the notion that that would have the same sort of rank as an Auditor General. And I was very interested in what that would mean, but I was actually quite disappointed with the details of what they were proposing because it was really just having a very small part of that big country-level monitoring and evaluation system. It was really only about conducting four or five very large discrete evaluations each year. So, I mean, that's a really useful function, but it wasn't looking at all at performance monitoring, national reporting, wasn't looking at supporting good M&E within departments, it wasn't looking at how you engage with statutory authorities and implementing partners. So, I think part of it is is to think about the big systems as a a whole. And I know that you've done a, a lot of work, you know, it's working at with national government, but also thinking about how they interact with subnational governments and that, that much bigger system. So the first bit, I think, is to have that, that, that wider view um, of, of what it is we're talking about. But, and then the second one is really around use. Um, it's got to be about focusing on use, and that's like any discrete evaluation or monitoring system or country-level monitoring and evaluation system. There's, a, there's such a risk that we fall into the trap of what can we get data about and how do we get that data and we go put all our efforts and focus into that and and I think like any evaluation it's got to be the focus on on use 
I'm so interested in what you're saying about um, this idea of systems and the uh, the demand it places on people to be thinking authentically about systems and understanding a kind of stewardship role, really, and acting as a traffic conductor um, who's able to take account of and make sense of all of these different data streams that are operating at so many different levels, which is really, I think, demanding, right? Oh, it is. Uh, and I'm, that's, a, that's a great word, this notion of steward, because I think, again, it, it speaks to what sort of system are we talking about, that you could think of an incredibly mechanistic one where you have a central part of the national government setting a whole lot of rules and regulations and indicators and they're all getting aggregated up and reported in some dashboards. There's that version that people often think about with the system. But if you think about the more organic system, the living systems, then it's much more like stewardship. How do we encourage, nurture, grow these things, provide the right incentives, um, provide the capacity so fabulous stuff is happening in all the departments, not just doing that aggregating up of uh, the single statistics. When I worked in government and I worked on what we called monitoring and evaluation systems, I came to understand after many years of that type of business that we were really talking about monitoring systems and that the evaluative side of things often got quite underdeveloped. Um, what do you think makes for strong evaluation systems in particular? I think being purposeful, you know, having having a clear direction that evaluations are not just something to be done, to be done, to tick off, to be compliant. And, and that's one of the problems I see with a lot of organisations is that the evaluation system just says do an evaluation. The, the planning for an evaluation rolls out the same set of questions, the same sort of template, it says go and do it. And it's, it's a bit like my, um, my friend and colleague, Bron McDonald, talked about the way people talk about evaluation. It's like brushing your teeth. You know, it's just good. Just do it. Don't, don't think about it. Just go ahead and do it. And um, I, <laughs> I was thinking about this while brushing my teeth today. But, you know, knowing, knowing why it's good for you helps you to do it well, even brushing your teeth, you know, even something as simple as that. And, and doing evaluations are even more so. You've really got to think about why are we doing this? Why are we doing this now? So um, a few years ago, what was then AusAid, the Australian International Development Agency, had quite a change in their evaluation policy where they said, we still require each program area to do an evaluation in the life of a program, but they get to choose when they do it. And they could put a lot of effort up front because it's a new area and we want to do evaluative thinking about scenarios and options and choose We might do a developmental evaluation, we might do a process evaluation, we might do a terminal one to say, did it work, should we keep doing it? But they get to decide where to focus. And that, that to me was an example of an evaluation policy that is, is focused on use and purpose and, and that's the requirement. This business of, of building, monitoring and evaluation systems is hard. It takes a long time and I think what you're describing also takes a great deal of care because you really have to think about what it is that you're going to use this information for. Can you think of some ways in which short-term value can be delivered for people involved in building monitoring and evaluation systems that will take long to deliver their intended results? Yeah, and uh, I just still have the image that of you in your 
your blog from last year about sitting in the back of a car and saying, you know, on a long trip saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And I just have that image every time you think about, you talk about building m and systems that, that I think we often take that, that unhelpful strategy of just saying, sit in the back, hang in there. I know it's being a lot of work, but one day this will be useful. And I think that is absolutely not the strategy. Um, and particularly when you know the situation's changing, the interventions are changing, the context's changing, the urgency's changing, and the people are changing. You know, you, you might have someone who's got a particular focus on something. You get a change of government, you get a change of minister, you get a change of department head or senior person or funder, or what, and things change. And and I think this notion that we'll 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 sit in a corner for a year and build the perfect M and E system and then we'll roll it out, is just not the way to do it. I, I think we have to build in some early wins, and, and that will do a number of things. It, it helps people see that there's some value in it after all. It helps them sometimes realise how much work is involved in getting data and how much work needs to be put into making sense of the data. And so to, to go around the cycle to say, let's get some data that we think is going to be useful, let's try to make use of it, and let's think about what other data we need or how we need to present it, who we need to be involved in those discussions. Let's, let's do a cycle and then let's plan again. And that, that notion was buried away in one of Michael Patton's early books where he talked, about, he talked about that as reality testing for planning and evaluation to say, again, an evaluation tends to say, what do we need to know? Here's the plan. Here's the data. Here's the report. And he said, do a cycle. And it, it's something he's revisited in the new edition of his book on utilisation-focused evaluation. And I think it's incredibly powerful because often people don't know what they want until they see something and go, yeah, well, it's not that. And I'm reminded of a few years ago, government department was building its evaluation capacity and the program managers went to the funders of particular programs and said, what do you want to have in this evaluation report that you require us to provide and largely there was no idea they wanted them to do an evaluation report they had no idea what that would be and it's actually a risk of shaming people that they then feel they ought to be able to say what it is but let's take them on that journey let's sit down with some data and say well we could report on this we could do that what's useful you know you don't you don't it's not a multiple choice question it's not a put you on the spot it's uh let's discover this together what we need to do and what you what information you need and what information we need you know, to do the implementation one of the things i've always found so revealing is when you work with people to develop key evaluation questions and they really don't know what questions they want answered it's quite astonishing really how often we drift into evaluations without really knowing what the questions to be answered are. Yeah, or we have this standard set of questions, you know, reliable, relevant, sufficiency, which are great criteria. But if you just grind through those, and particularly if you have great elaborations on them, you've got 30 or 50 evaluation questions. I, I was looking at a terms of reference just yesterday where there's something like, you know, 40 key evaluation questions. Or key, key, key. Mm. Well, you know, they're, they're clustered. But, you know, there's still sub-questions. Sub-questions. Yeah. Um, famous sub-question, yeah. Yeah, the famous sub-question. And, you know, they're good questions. Um, and there's, you know, a couple of months to do this and you're going to go and do a bunch of interviews. And I just think, oh, that's surely we're beyond that now. 
um, you know, that there, there needs to be a real, real focus. I like the terms of reference that say, we are doing this evaluation because <laughs> here's how we're right. going to use it. This is the sort of information. Here's going to use it, what they need to know, when they need to know it, who needs to be involved to make that credible. Um, and I go, oh, that's a good, that's a good evaluation in terms of reference. You know, they're not, they're not just rolling it out. So, I think you think you're right with the, the key evaluation questions. Um, often reflect that there's a lack of clarity about the purpose. And I know several organisations that have tried to have a template as part of the plan where you state what's the purpose of the evaluation, and often people will put accountability in learning. You know, it just rolls right. it out, and you go, yeah. oh, that's really good. Who's being held accountable? To whom? For what? Through what means? Who's going to be doing the learning? And and what what will that mean for them? Um, you know, you 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 need to unpack it um, and 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 be clear about that, and whether a single evaluation can meet these different purposes. So, when you think about designing a monitoring and evaluation system, and I mean both monitoring and evaluation system, what are some of the steps you think that we should go through? I mean, you've talked about doing it quite iteratively. You've described the process of taking care to um, learn what can be learned. Um, are there any other things you want to mention? Yeah, and I mean, now my, my experience has really been um, monitoring and evaluation systems for programs, often quite large programs, and for organisations. So I haven't done the work you've done working at a country level m &E system, but working on some of the components of what would be in that system. I mean, the, the means to it, obviously, I, I, is doing theories of change and really understanding how do we understand this works and how how good is that understanding and are there links in the causal chain that are less certain? I think that's a really helpful thing in terms of the focusing. Um, and are there some long-term outcomes where we um, we need some interim indicators of whether we're going to achieve them? So I think part of it, the, the sort of the framing and the shaping of the of what the M and E system can do, what the monitoring systems can do, and where we need evaluations is part of that. How how well do we understand this theory of change? I mean, if it's well understood. The causal links are well known, the situation's stable, you know, you could tick over a few indicators um, and that might be sufficient. And then it's who needs it and how do we do nice dashboards or, or planning sessions. Um, but if it's if it's really not well understood or it's rapidly changing or might be, then part of your M&E system has to be not just how do we get the data and report it, but how do we build in support for use so I'm really interested in some of the systems that have been put in place where that building it into our regular management processes or implementation processes is part of the M&E system. I think that's that's the other bit, not just not just seeing the M&E um, person as a um, as a technician who goes scurries away and gets the data that someone's decided they need, but supporting those, but ensuring it's built into the, the processes. So um, well, an example that stayed with me for many years was from New South Wales Railways, uh, where they had um, 
a series of indicators in four areas and they would have weekly meetings at each of their major sites and they would look at the indicators related to one of those areas at those meetings. So we were, we were talking about it and he said, so what do you think is the most important thing? And everyone said that the trains run on time. And he said, well, punctuality is one, but there's three others and that's not the first. The first one is safety and we're going to look at that and we're going to have indicators. And obviously if there's a major event, they jump to that straight away. But they have this and four other areas on a regular cycle. So they're sort of continuing to look at that and and building it into their discussion and their review systems. So that that's one um, that's really stuck with me as a, as a model about paying attention to the process and, and building it into being considered. We recently um, had a launch of a, a GEI product called the Launchpad and I got involved in a bit of a Twitter dialogue with somebody who was very scathing about monitoring and evaluation and said it was a waste of time and that um, it's been a big drain on resources in the context he was familiar with. Why do you think people have that attitude towards monitoring and evaluation? And what are some of the, the kind of practices that have given rise to a negative view of M&E? Well, often they've had experiences that um, have, have demonstrated that in that situation, M&E has been a waste of time and a, and a diversion of resources. I mean, there, there, there was one, uh, some time ago, there was some discussion about, you know, psychological aspects of, of, of M&E and, and people's resistance to it and all of that. And I don't think that work paid sufficient attention to the fact that many people have a well-founded concern that a lot of M&E is... Um, ineffectual and wasteful at best and harmful at worst, that it actually diverts efforts, not just of the M&E people, but of everyone else who's got to run around and meet some targets that are really inappropriate and unhelpful. And, you know, there's a whole literature on damaging effects of performance indicators about, so which I you know, don't need to go into. So I think, I think part of that is seeing many bad examples and for people to be able to see that it can be different. And part of it is by looking at examples from elsewhere. I think it's really important. Um, and, and obviously to have some examples within them. I think one of the, the worst moments of my professional life was when I was working with a, um, a, a department where one of the key people was very sceptical about evaluation. And uh, I thought I'd and we were, our job was to develop a whole evaluation framework for this major new initiative. <laughs> and, you know, it was trying to do all the things we've talked about, be useful, embedded. And, and he was just deeply sceptical about the value of it at all. And so I thought I would, in a meeting, use an appreciative inquiry um, approach and say, you know, let, let's talk at an example where it's worked well and why do you think it worked well and how can we do more of that? So I started, could you, th you know, think of an example where some evaluation's been useful and there was just this long pause, <laughs> and then he said, "No, I don't. No, I can't." <laughs> <laughs> so my whole whole plan for this wonderful, uplifting meeting just went out the window. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the only real way to combat that is for people to have the reverse experience, right? Is for people yeah. to actually have 
an experience of having an important question answered exactly. of, of going through an evaluative process. And which is another reason um, to do little bits early on. So what you're really talking about is to be building up a practice that allows people to have good experiences, to see the value and, and any other bits of advice you'd like to share? Well, the other, the other one that's a, a bit challenging, I think, is a lot of this is about being iterative and adaptive, which you know, allows you to respond to new issues and new people and, and key issues. That's great, I think, it's, and it's needed, but it also needs to be balanced with, oh, my goodness, now we're going to re- rejig the theory of change again. We're rejigging our indicators. We've just set up our spreadsheets now we're going to, or our dashboards. And so I think there's, a, there's something about having some constants and some variables you know, and, and, and being very thoughtful about the resourcing for that, including people's attention. I think making things as rhythmic and simple and clear as possible, but with scope to do something quite different and specific and idiosyncratic and to try out some things on a small scale. Um, I, I think that's the other, the other one um, is about the scalability. If you think about um, the other Rogers theory of innovation, and he talks about some of the features that help innovation grow. And one of them is it's if it's scalable and, and the benefits are demonstrable. And so, which brings us back again to the, are we there yet? discussion you know if you're just having to hang in there hang in there hang in there and hope that it's going to be good and you've had to commit this huge amount of money and resources and it and everything to this system and you sort of committed you've got this massive sunk cost that's a very bad model for building it right so so if you can do something that's that's scalable you do something on a small scale and then you see some benefit and then you grow it the department in Victoria, in my home state, that made the most progress early on with evaluation in the sort of early 2000s. It did that through an iterative process where they started with a single project and they started with quite a constrained evaluation. How can we make sense, better sense of the existing data we have to tell a story about what we're doing and to understand what we're doing? And that was so immensely useful that that program, that project manager who then became the program manager, scaled it up to the program and then when it became part of the division, the bigger unit, scaled it up to that. So it was very much his personal experience and it was an approach that could be scaled up thoughtfully. He became probably the the best advocate for evaluation I've seen. The the first time I met him, I walked into the open plan office and this man who was six foot three was standing on a desk shouting excitedly at all the staff gathered around him saying, you've got to do evaluation, it's really important. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my, that's my benchmark of um, senior management support for evaluation. And it wasn't him just mouthing words. He, he had seen it. It had been immensely useful for him, you know, both within his project and with the partners he was working with. And he totally got it. He got the, he got the risks in it. He said, if we, if we run a project and it doesn't work, and we're not going to continue it. We need to look after the people employed so that they don't just get turfed, that they get reassigned. Like he, he thought through this stuff, was personally committed to it. So, Patricia, I mean, I'm, I'm really appreciating the, the guidance you've given us today in relation to thinking about this as a journey that is best taken in little trips that 
offer some kind of returns and that don't leave you feeling like you're on an interminable tra travel across the desert. Nice. Um, and and I, I think what you're describing is so interesting about sort of starting small and scaling up so that innovation is possible and you're testing and constantly building the system as you go. Any last thoughts on, on what makes M&E systems most useful for public policy and service delivery? I mean, we've been talking about this, but just anything you want to add? Yeah, I, I guess it's in that last question. When you talk about public policy and service delivery, I think um, we often have systems to inform them quite separately. And one of the things that's often missing is how do we connect them? How do we connect from public policy? This is a good direction to go to what does that mean for how we manage implementation and how we do M&E of implementation. And then back the other way, what are we learning from M&E of service delivery that should inform our public policy? And the public policy might be of the kind where you say, we need to do A for everyone, or we need to have a suite of options where we can do A or B or C because service implementation has shown that we need a range of options or, or, or whatever. So I think that's that's one of the other sort of connections that we need. So interesting. I hope this is the first of many conversations we have that we're able to share with people who listen to the GEI podcast. Thank you for joining us today. It's been really good to talk to you. And I hope you have a great weekend. Thank you. Thanks, Dugan. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Powered by Evidence. I hope you enjoyed the discussion. This is our pilot season, so we'd love to hear what you think. Please join the conversation. You can find us on Twitter and LinkedIn or leave a comment on the podcast page on the GEI website at globalevaluationinitiative.org. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. 